I have found that the conversations, when you keep it about the organization and the organizations in the future, that, and you're really clear then of, well, this is what the job is, and here are the competencies that are needed. Here are the behaviors that are needed. Here's the pressure that comes with it. Is this something, you ask more questions than make statements, is this something that you would like? Would would you be passionate about this role? Because the organization in three years needs this role. Is this something that you would like to be considered for? Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. This week, we continue our 2023 New Year's resolutions for people leaders with thoughts on developing the next generation of organization leaders. Many leaders in small and medium-sized businesses see succession planning as an exercise for larger organizations. But every organization should have some idea of what its future leadership will look like and how best to recruit, develop, and retain those leaders so that they're ready to step up when the time comes. Joining me today to explore succession planning for organizations of all sizes is Lisa Blanton. Lisa is a business strategy consultant, coach, author, speaker, and founder of the Austin Alliance Group, where her team helps companies be the places where everyone wants to work because of the leadership, culture, and contribution to the world. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Lisa. Ah, thank you, Mike, for that introduction and this amazing topic that I've been passionate about since I was 24. Well, let's start then with what seems obvious, but it doesn't get the attention it probably deserves. Why is having a longer-term plan for an organization's leadership important? Because if you don't deal with it, then when it is time for transition, you're going to be in a corner where you're going to have to actually sell for a lower price or just close the business. Well, yeah, that's a, if, as, an, as an owner of my company, uh, that makes sense, right? And, uh, and someday I'll exit. But I even, what, four years ago had my number two person leave the company. She had been with me for 13, 14 years. She was integral to operations, but it was time for her for the, you know, to find her next thing. And I supported her hundred percent. I negotiated with her uh, to stay a year and develop internally somebody who could take her place. And that person's got a completely different skill set, approaches leadership differently, and in many ways has been an improvement and has, you know, but because we we had that year, we were uh, we were ready. But if we hadn't had that year, if if she just had a job offer and decided to leave, I would have been up a creek for a while there. And so, I guess it's not just the exit of the owners; uh, it it could be you know other key personnel as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I say, you know, the only constant right is change. So, a lot of entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm like yourself, don't want to deal with or think about, right, their exit strategy, because I'm going to be here forever, right? And a lot of it is that they've built it around their own ego, and that's where their self-worth is as well. Um, So this is 
kind of a touchy subject. Uh, I, I, when I do my business consulting, I tell myself, okay, Lisa, breathe, because we're actually entering a danger zone. Um, and to understand the grieving process. So that's that's what I've been doing since I was 24 years old, was helping um, small businesses, small business owners really get what they want out of their business. And they have to start with the end in mind. So starting with the end in mind, then walking it back to make a knowledge transfer plan, a succession plan, you know, a, a specific strategy um, so that they get what they want after so many years of, of building and, and working a business. And I can hear leaders in a lot of small and medium-sized businesses responding that, yeah, that's having a succession plan is great, but you know, I can't afford or building a deep talent bench is, isn't practical for my organization. How do you respond to that? Well, I wouldn't put it as one or the other, especially in these times of the great resignation or great reevaluation or whatever label you want to put on it. People want to work for a place that is invested in them as well. So let's call it career development, right? Not secession planning specifically, but taking this one person and asking them questions. Hey, where do you want to be in three years, five years, 10 years? Great. Let's create a plan together that I can help you get there. And sometimes it's managing people out of the company. I've done that too, absolutely. Uh, somebody wanted to be a truck driver. And just having open and honest conversations, the person was a drafts person uh, in my architectural engineering company. And when we had this career development planning conversation, he's like, you know, I really want to travel across the country. And my father was a trucker and I'm thinking that's what I wanna be. And then the rest is history. Within about three months, uh, he had a plan and informed his wife or they worked together and he stopped being in an office and achieving his dream. Because um, we'd rather have someone who's fully engaged and love what they do and passionate about it than someone who's always looking out the window. Right, Mike? Right. Yeah. And that's interesting about because in, in the situation I mentioned earlier with uh, my VP of operations leaving a few years ago. Her actual degree uh, was in computer science, and we worked together in HR, uh, you know, a hundred years ago. And and she came to, you know, she was one of my first employees, and and I had so much trust and and confidence in her. Uh, and she she you know grew into that position of of really running the operations side of the business. But she really wanted, she, you know, she, she, while she worked for me, she had uh, received her degree in computer science. And, but she saw that she was entering her early 40s. And if she didn't do it now, she was never going to do it. And, uh, and so she was able to, uh, you know, like I said, you know, and I'm, so open with, you know, with my employees and we have a lot of frank conversations around those things. And she was able to comfortably come to me and say, Hey, you know, this is where I'm at and it's not a money issue. It's, it's not, it's, and it's nothing to do with the company. It's just, you know, this isn't the size organization that's ever going to have a full IT development team. We're not saying we just don't need that. And, and so we, we made that plan and, and executed on it. But like, you know, if it'd been three months, I would have been, like I said, in, in real trouble because we would have done, we would have survived it. But, uh, and you know, 
it would have it would have been a very different situation. So I was I was really blessed that she gave me a gave me a year. So that helped. And you've got a you've got you've got a partner in crime there with you. I do. I think I'm one of your first ones that, uh, yes, there's a FedEx person that's just delivering to my neighbor. So my my little dog, uh, oh, she's settling down again. So we're no, safe. That's great. We're safe. No, that's, you know, <laughs> this is remote work 101. People, you know, when we're working out of our homes, people are going to have the real world happen. And, and it's not as nearly as uh, uh, environmentally separate as our, our old workplaces back in the day. Yeah. Well, and that's something that I also wanted to have a conversation about is, um, you know, succession planning, career development. What's most important is that leaders really know their employees, right? And it, and when I started in the 80s, <clears throat> it was leave your home and family at home when you work, you do whatever the boss says to do. Period. We don't want to hear about your ills or like just you show up, you be the robot, you do what I tell you to do and usually nothing more. And then you deal with your home life. And I hope that if the pandemic hasn't taught us one thing, I hope it's that you give yourself grace and that we give others around us grace as well. Yeah, I think that's really key. And I've seen it with my team. You know, we're all remote now mm-hmm. and permanently. And and we've got, we use wow. Zoom for all our telephony and chat and all that. And I can jump into different channels on and see how, how they support each other. And, you know, and, and I'm so proud of them. They drop, they'll drop a note in, you know, I've got, I've got to go feed my kid or I've got, you know, uh, whatever it is. And, and everybody, okay, we got you covered. Don't worry about it. And just, it's just part of the work day now. It is. So thank you for your grace. <laughs> well, uh, so we talked, you mentioned the great resignation and, and I guess that would be another concern is, you know, it seems like a lot of employees are really looking at their career three months, six months, a year at a time now. Um, do we, do we create risk for ourselves by, by in, investing in an employee who may well move on down the road in six months or a year or two? Mm, Well, I'm always going to choose invest in the people. Uh, I'm a recovering CFO. I I used to step in the room all about the finance, finance, finance. So if you can imagine, I was in San Francisco in the high-rise buildings with the 1980s and 90s, you know, suit on with the big (laughs) puffy shoulders. Yeah, that was me my high heels on BART. Um, and it was all about the finances. And you know, I've, most of my career has been in the service industry. So I do have a little you know, rose-colored glasses there. But if you take care of your people, you're going to see it in the finances. So that's my long, you know, long story about, hey, yes, you take care of everyone who walks in the door. You're the one who chose to hire them. You don't know if they're going to be here for three months, six months, 22 years, you don't know, right? So how can you, with a whole servant heart, say, you know, I want for you what you want for you. What do you want? And how can I help you? Um, and it might be that they want something like happened with you, Mike, that in the end, you know, sh- 
she need, she wants to do something else with her career. Well, you thank her for your her service and the gifts that she gave and to help build your business to where you are today. Um, and to make it financially worth it, I really, really strongly, now my HR hat comes on, you have an orientation plan. Well, one, you have a really strong hiring um, plan and that it's not a replacement plan, that you really have a specific way that you recruit and hire, quote, top talent, right? And then once they come on board, it's a strong onboarding process so that your break even with that talent, it comes up faster than a year from now. Um, so get your processes in place. You get your your onboarding and your recruiting really tight, um, that you're evaluating people on your core values, a little less on the skills because people can be trained on that, um, and then show up as a vulnerable human because um, people will they do want to stay with servant leaders. And, and you have to be open and vulnerable yourself first. And that's, you know, it's interesting because I have some folks who are very good at their at their roles in the organization. And, and as I've approached them, hey, would you be interested in this next step, you know, being a supervisor or something like that? Uh, some of them, because they're really strong on execution and on that side, but don't want the, the pressure or the, uh, you know, they don't want to deal with people's issues. Don't want to have to ever be in a situation where they're managing people. Um, and when I was in healthcare, we saw it over and over. She's a great nurse. So let's make her a nurse manager and, uh, just throw her in there. And, uh, and often that didn't work because we, they weren't suited for it. Maybe they, you know, nobody asked them, do you really want this or prepared them for it? So if you've, if you've got that leader who, or that, that team member, that individual contributor, who's, you know, really strong, um, what does that conversation look like? If, uh, you know, if maybe I think this is, is the right person going forward and, you know, we need to figure out where they are, what they want, what is, how does that conversation go? Well, that's a, a, a crucial conversation. Um, and I have had it many times in my career, but off the top of my head, I'm going to just name him Ray. Um, the best engineer that we had. Um, everybody wanted him on his project. He was the top-notch science person. Um, and as we were growing the company, you know, we made, I don't want to say a mistake, but we, we chose for him. So uh, we promoted him to now supervise more than 50% of his time. And he's like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> wait. Um, and so through this conversation, that was a, a misstep about, our, about us. And then through the conversation, we were able to create a career ladder and a lattice so that there were subject matter experts in engineering and architecture that he could be on everyone's team. Um, and he mentored the, the young up and coming engineers, but to be someone's direct supervisor where he's not doing what he loves to do and that he's great at, um, yeah, that was a misstep on our part. And, um, again, being an open and vulnerable leader and listening more than talking, we went, oh, we get it, Ray. We want to honor you and the gifts that you bring to our organization. 
Um, and now I get to say he's fully retired and, you know, love the last half of his has, of his career being that subject matter expert on everything that keeps buildings standing in California. Wow. So what does then a, a succession plan look like? I mean, is it an org chart with people's, you know, with a, a date certain in the future with people's names in certain boxes who aren't there now? Or what is it really when, when, when we're saying, I want to see the succession plan, what does that really look like? Okay. Well, I've changed my approach um, in the last five years um, where we start with something called the accountability chart. So without the people, like including the founders or the three founders, like put that aside and starting with the organization at the center. That I've always done. You always need to have as if the organization is a, an, a, a human itself, an organism itself. So all the decisions are, is this in the best interest of the organization? So with that in mind, then you create a, a, an accountability chart that looks like, okay, for this organization to get to where it wants needs to be in 10 years or eight years or even five years or three years, if you're talking about some tech startup, um, okay, what does this organization need to look like in a certain amount of time? Then without anybody's name on it, you're like, okay, well, we need, you know, a visionary role. And then we need a conductor of the band. And then you kind of lay out the three to five priorities of that role without anybody's name right. on it. And then you need, well, how do we sell and market our our services, our product? How do we actually do the work? And then how do we keep track of that work? So is it finance, HR, IT? And so that's, that's I used to say, let's put the people in the boxes and then we'd kind of create org chart around the people. But that actually hinders you from and, and opens you up to risk <laughs> that, well, if you build something around the people, perhaps, Mike, you were just telling in your storytelling, I mean, you needed to do what you needed to do when you started the company, but then that created a risk for you. What if that person were to leave? And, you know, we do have the lottery win or, you know, something else that's more tragic uh, that could happen to that person. So it's a real big risk not to build your organization around the organization itself that's going to out with the thought of it's going to outlast me and the leadership team. And then what are the roles then that we need? And I'm just doing this with my company right now. <laughs> um, what do we need next year? Then we have our three-year picture. Well, what does the accountability chart look like at that three-year picture? And the eight-year vision. And you design it for the company first. Then you say, okay, here is what the visionary role looks like. Here are the three to five priorities anyone qualified to do that or or the best qualified is do we have to go seek it out externally um and now you start working your process of finding and retaining the top talent including a really strong i was going to use another word um a strong um onboarding process so that if it's not the right fit then it doesn't cost you that much and and you can move on to the next yeah, yeah. So you're you're really describing the entrepreneurial operating systems approach to the accountability chart instead of an org chart, right? And and so you've got your visionary up here, and then you've got 
your COO, basically your op, your 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 you know person who's really good at execution. Then you've got your pillars like accounting and finance, sales and marketing, or marketing and sales, two separate things sometimes. Uh, and then operations and and whatever else you know is necessary in your organization. And you've got those. So if we have that, and we know what those accountabilities are for each of those those roles without names in them, you know, and in the future, right now, sales and marketing may be one person and it's just one, you know, and, but we think if we hit our targets and we're on schedule in five years or eight years, there's going to be three people in that role and there's going to be, you know, there's going to be three people supporting that function. How do, how do we know, okay, and, you know, we're going to need, the, the the ability to lead, manage, and hold other people accountable, and other skills. How do we know who in our in that organization has those competencies, or or would be somebody that we could develop those those competencies successfully? Yeah, it's it, it's a tricky conversation, right? Um, and I've been in organizations that are family businesses <laughs> that um, someone has been there for twenty years, therefore. They should get the the job of the director of engineering. A lot of uh, traditions, mm-hmm. right? But I, I have found that the conversations, when you keep it about the organization and the organizations in the future, that and you're really clear then of well, this is what the job is, and here are the competencies that are needed. Here are the behaviors that are needed. Here's the pressure that comes with it. Is this something you ask more questions and make statements? Is this something that you would like? Would, would you be passionate about this role? Because the organization in three years needs this role. Is this something that you would like to be considered for? Yes, no. So now they, if they say yes, then you're like, great. Then here are some gaps. So you do a gap analysis. Here are some gaps in your current skill set. And I want to help you. So you do need to have some money in the budget for training. I swear there's a re- huge return on the investment for, for training current people that you have than trying to search for someone new and then get them onboarded with your company culture. Um, and that's how you keep people for a long time. You invest in them and their career development. So they're like, oh, yes, I I see what the organization's going to need um, in let's say it's marketing and the person's um, in uh, maybe just a, a, an intern, maybe a, a year out. Um, but in three years, we're going to have three people reporting to this role and not to name anyone, but say, and would you be interested in that progression? Yes. Or they say, no, no, thank you. No, I love, I'm a subject matter expert on social media, marketing director, too big of, I really love to do this. Well, then when we hire a marketing director, that's now their new supervisor they, and have them be part of the interview team. That's another mistake, right? That the leadership team or the entrepreneur by themselves is like, okay, now I have to go find that next person and not involve the other p- people that have been doing that role or part of that role or the person who said, no, not me. But you're going to be, I, I, your input's really valuable to me. Therefore, you're going to be on the interview team. How does that sound? And you're honoring them. 
Yeah. Did I answer yeah, that yeah, question? That's okay. So how deep, yeah. in, you know, in the organization or that or that accountability chart do we need the succession plan? Is it just those top level folks that are reporting to the COO and the visionary, or is it deeper into the organization? Well, you have to start somewhere. So, so start at the top. Start at yourself. What if something were to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen with my organization? So you got to start there. <laughs> um, and that's best for your family. I'm just, you know, now I'm talking entrepreneurs, sure. but you know, uh, best for your family, best for the organization, best for the, the employees. So you got to start with your own succession plan. Then uh, if, you, you're a, if you're managing a small business and there's a leadership team, you got to start with that leadership team. What if something were to happen with us? And I think, again, we had a pandemic that that was happening to some leadership teams that the person either was no longer with us or had a reevaluation of their role. There's so many CEOs actually that resigned um, during the last two and a half years. I don't have the data, but I've read it in. in well, I've Forbes. certainly seen it um, in, a, in our, in our, in our customer base. Yeah. So start with the top, then the, the next group of leaders and make your way down. And that would be all the way down to, um, and I don't mean down, I really mean up. Because I, the people who are closest to the customer really make the most impact. So what if someone were to, at the the place where they're the the top customer service person, right? Um, and they're like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And we've had some horror stories, right, where where they just say, I'm not coming back tomorrow. So we have to have a succession plan, a a who's going to a replacement plan at that level. So start start with the top. But really, as your organizational structure and business planning, you need to have a plan for every role. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. 23 years ago, I founded Imperative to help risk-averse clients make well-informed decisions about the people they involve in their business. Often that involves giving employers thorough and easy to understand background checks on prospective employees. But sometimes it means helping families make well-informed decisions when hiring nannies or other caregivers. Outside of employment, we help services firms with their client acceptance and know your customer requirements. And we help investors research the principles and firms in which they are considering making private equity emplacements. Basically, if people are involved, there's risk involved. We help companies identify and mitigate that risk. You can learn more about Imperative at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of an hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 73 and enter the keyword Blanton. That's B-L-A-N-T-O-N. And now back to my conversation with Lisa Blanton. So as we're looking at those at those, you know, positions that we want to, you know, have backfill on, have a deeper talent bench on. And we see somebody who's great on the technical aspects of the role. We have a conversation with them. Would this be something that you're interested in, in the future? You know, would you, would you be willing to make that personal investment if we'll make as an organization, the financial and, and, and investment on our part? What is what does the assessment look like of where they are versus where they need to be 
on those leadership skills and just where they need to be as far as knowledge transfer in the organization and you know key relationships, things like that. How do you do that assessment? What does what does that look like? Well, that's very complex because such a broad. It depends on the role. So, could you be more specific? Like, okay, it's a CFO, okay. and or because um, then I could work sure. through a scenario. Yeah, let's just way. say the CFO. Let's say let's say it's our lead okay. money person. All right. So uh, the lead money role, right? Uh, um, they have to be both forward thinking, that's finance, and backward thinking, history, that's accounting. So accounting and finance. Um, and so you've defined the role without the mm-hmm. person first. So say, okay, for this organization, here's our CFO role now. In three years, when we are five times larger than we are right now. This is what the CFO role needs to look like. And when we are in our eight-year target, then this is what that would look like. And they are very different. You know, if you're a small business and and it's more heavy on accounting than finance, but as you grow, there's more finance that needs to happen. So outlining basically three different job descriptions for what the CFO role is for this organization one year, three years, 10 years out, eight years out, whatever your big vision is. Then gather some data, ask some experts, right? Um, and then create a, a potential job description for those other, you know, in the future in the roles. Then you bring the person, just like I said before, hey, this is where we're going. You know, we are, here's our core values. This is our um, our three-year picture, our, our big vision. How do you want to fit into this picture? Oh, let me, you're in finance, like you're in accounting. Let me show you, right, the roadmap and see if our roadmap path can match their career development. Let's say they say yes. Then you, okay, well then let's together see where there's some gaps. Where do you feel comfortable or not comfortable? And they might say, you know, I've been doing the accounting. I'm really good at QuickBooks, um, Dell Tech or whatever, but I haven't done any forecasting. Great. Okay. How do you believe that you can gain some skills there? Uh, well, there's and they if they're already thinking about wanting to career progress to be a CFO, they've already had some conversations with themselves that, yeah, if I were to belong to a CFO group, if I were to go to this conference, and if they don't know, then you give them the assignment. It's kind of my number one after 30 years tip that I can tell the 30 years of doing this. I used to try to do everything myself where I would take on the burden of, oh, let me go find you resources. And now I say, hey, I'm open. If you can go write a career roadmap, you know where the organization needs to be in this role. I hear that you're interested in it. And then you give them some feedback too. Yeah, I agree. We haven't done any forecasting. That is a skill that really needs to 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 happen and to have. Um, why don't you? Can you go and do some some research on where you could get that skill um, honed? And then give me some pricing too, and then we'll have that conversation. So there's technical skills, but then if we see somebody who maybe you know again they're that they're that great nurse who you know we we and we need a nurse manager but what they don't have right now is that are those 
the, you know, I, I don't like the term soft skills. I just don't have a better one, but those leadership, those people skills, um, what do we do when we, when we, well, maybe we don't even know because they've not been in that role. Maybe we don't have a way to measure. How do, is there a way to assess somebody's leadership potential or how do we invest it? You know, what do we do there to, to say, is this somebody who, regardless of, you know, I've certainly worked with some, some CFOs who were great at the execution side of the, the CFO job, but you know, were, were monsters when it came to dealing with people. So how do you, how do you evaluate that early? Well, the soft skills are the hard skills. <laughs> uh, I just heard someone last week say, I can't believe it. All my issues have to deal with people. Like, yeah. <laughs> so um, how can I address that is we all can get better in this, the hard skills of communication and we can never be perfect at it. So I highly recommend that as an organization, you start with that everyone has a base level of influence for communication skills. And, um, you know, everything I learned, I learned in kindergarten regarding relationships. So what are you doing as an organization without having to pick one, you know, pick just one person, but let's talk about holistically as an organization based on our core values, start there, that everyone gets similar training on communication and relationship um, relationship building. And then that's when you can get some assessment that someone's like, ooh, I don't feel comfortable with the crucial conversations. Let's say, okay, let's get you some specific training and that you could practice. So let's say they do that. And then when maybe they need some a mentor and or a coach. So, and also the current trend is not just executive coaching. You know, that almost everyone deserves some type of coach where they can call them up and say, I'm scared. I don't know how. Uh, I'm worried. Um, and they can coach them through um, how to be even more brave in the organization. So to summarize, like start with the whole organization so that everybody has the same training in communication and relationship building. Then out of that, there'll be people that'll say, oh, I'm not really good at this. Or you can see it as well, or of course, doing employee engagement surveys or supervisor surveys where it's 360 surveys and you're getting the black and white. And then you have the conversation of, you know, look at the, the turnover and the churn rate for, you know, uh, supervisors and address that um, with some coaching, mentoring, um, and some, some learning uh, classes. And I think what you, that, that idea of everyone having those hard skills, let's call them difficult skills, the people skills, uh, having that training. Uh, I think that probably also sets a baseline of expectation across the organization. This is how we're going to do it here. And so if I'm a, you know, if I'm an employee with a manager, I know what the training is. I know what he's, you know, what this manager has been, been taught because it's the same thing I've been taught. And so I know that, you know, this isn't maybe okay. This isn't, you know, how this person's speaking to you. I mean, I can, you know, that's off the topic of succession planning somewhat, but I can see where everybody being on the same page with how we, you know, what our culture is, how we do things here uh, would, would be impacted by having, you know, a consistent common training too. And just, you know, like you said, 
the you know often are are least uh, uh, you know financially valuable employees as far as the ones who we pay you know invest in money wise are often the ones with the most contact with our clients. Uh, investing in them just to improve those relationships and make them better and give them an opportunity you know would would be a would be an advance for for the whole organization. Now, here's a huge mistake. If you're to, to invest in, hey, we're going to get um, uh, communication, I don't know, start with 90 minutes of a um, communication course on um, communicating to influence to get direct results. Okay. It'd be good for customer service. It'd be good for engineers. It'd be good for mm-hmm. nurses. Like, yeah, how do you communicate to influence so that you get results from the people that you're right. communicating with? The mistake that happens, Mike, is <laughs> the leadership team says, great, sign up. Everybody else goes but oh, that. Yeah. Sure. And now they're not speaking the same language as the rest of the team, right? No. And you know what's happening. They're all, everybody else is going, but the top leadership team, and we're like, oh, it's us, but not them. And then how do you hold your leadership team accountable when they go to do some behaviors that have trusted people's, uh, busted people's trust, and they're trying to use the tools on, you know, the seven steps to have an assertive communication, and and that person didn't take the class and is sending the message where, where it, it's good for you, but not for me. I don't have the time. It's not worthy of my time. Right. Well, if it's not worthy to the leader's time, then why are you investing everybody else to go? So leaders always have to go first in everything. Yeah. <laughs> go first in everything. Yeah. And, and you know, it's just like we were talking about EOS earlier. I've seen EOS implementations fail primarily because the leaders didn't attend the planning sessions. The leaders just left it to the, you know, to their their subordinates to, to, to do it. Uh, they're too busy or, you know, this is, I've got other uses for my time and you're, you're sending a message to the whole group that this really isn't that important. It's flavor of the week. And next week it'll be some other flavor and we'll be doing something completely different. Absolutely. And that has to do with strategic planning too. Um, so I, I, my first real like hands-in project about strategic planning, um, this happened to us. So it was a founder. Uh, he, he owned 100% of the shares. And it was just a simply a simple monthly meeting. There were 11 of us. Um, and we're just reporting on, you know, budget versus actual or these this scorecard. Are we on track or off track? And out of the blue, and I'm the CFO, also have IT and HR functions um, responsible. And I've been working with the entrepreneur really closely. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the meeting, he's like, oh, I have an idea. Everyone stand up. Okay. We stood up, Mike. And then he said, whoever wants to own my business remains standing. Yeah. <laughs> what? So, literally, <laughs> there were two people who said, no way, not now. Um, and there ended up being eight of us 
that remained remained standing. And then he said, you all go figure it out. I'll pay for the C- the CPA, but you have to do this on your own time and and come back to me with an offer. So he took himself out of succession planning. And then the eight of us, we did with gumption, like tried to figure out um, and used our own time and some of our own money to get some consultants. And then we delivered to him after about eight months, literally back then a binder. And he flipped to the back and he said, the price isn't high enough. Close the book, put it in his desk drawer. And his succession plan planning was on hold for another two years until I can actually get him to be more involved with wow. this. Um, yeah, that's that, yeah, that's, yeah. Don't do it no, that way. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, this is somebody who just wants to exit, and the, and the place can, as long as he gets his dollars, the the place can can burn down. He had no interest in a legacy or making sure that the people were taken care of on the back end or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what you would think from that action. Mm-hmm. But in reality, what they loved was the actual doing the work did not love running the business of the business. Oh yeah. And that was a huge lesson for him. Um, it ends up that him is my father oh. and that if a company that I started in 1975 as a single father, he wanted to be home to care for his kids when we got home from school. So Fast forward, I forget, 1995 or so um, is when he pulled that little trick at, <laughs> at, our, at our meeting. And um, fast forward, four of us actually bought the company from him in 2000, um, got him a teaching gig uh, to get him out of the business. And um, I exited it in 2011. And the company is now going to celebrate how many years that is in, in, in 2025. So he really did care. He just hated the business side. Um, Interesting. Yeah. It, yeah it, he's a cool Well, guy. and mm. I'm, as long as I stay out of the, too deep in the operation side, you know, I'm your typical visionary. Every time I touch it, I reinvent the wheel. So my team does everything they can to keep me out of, of day-to-day operations. Uh, I will always improve them. But, you know, when I touch it, at least in my opinion, but the, but the reality is that's chaos for the organization if, if I'm constantly doing it. So they, they know what to bring to me and whatnot. And so, but when we're talking about succession planning, then let's say we've identified uh, these high performers, high potential uh, team members who we, you know, may want to slot in those organizations. We've had the conversations and yeah, they're on board and we were addressing their uh, you know, their development in, in the right direction for that. So we've got this person tagged as, as probably our next marketing manager or our next accounting manager or whatever. Do we, after having that conversation, do we, do we keep that a secret in the organizations or do we risk alienating other people by saying this is who, you know, this is the heir apparent or how do, what do we do with that information in relation to uh, the rest of the employees. Well, do you want to be brave or do you want to be scarcity mindset? I, you know, I'm just, I kind of prefer chicken shit, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, that, yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so what do you think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I've been in organizations where we've done it both ways. Um, I'll say what's the hardest um, is the keeping a secret, um, because now the organization is putting some additional training to somebody who, you know, that's not what they need for their role. So how come they get to go? So now you're playing favorites. Over here. And that's, that's the way it's saying that, yeah. Right, right. Um, so if you have an open conversation and every quarter you're checking in with your entire organization so that they understand the roadmap of where we're going and why. Um, and also, I, I highly recommend you do not, just have one person. Because as you see, if you have one person tagged to, to be this role, life happens. So you have a couple people in their different areas in their career. Um, and, you know, people, you, you have racehorses, right? And you're going to have a barn full of a lot because you don't know who's actually going to win the race. So that's what I would recommend. And not that you... And you be very open and honest to them, not that you're going to pit them against each other um, and who's going to win the job. Um, but no matter what in their career development, what the organization's providing is good for the company and good for them. Now, it's when you, and this has happened too, when somebody, it's time to, like someone's going to retire and now you have to have a, a choose between two internal candidates. Um you make the choice for what's best for the organization. Be really clear why the other one didn't get it, but don't be surprised if they they then for their they need to leave the organization because now you've created a ceiling, right? They've done three to five years thinking they could be, but now they really know why they're not the CFO. And go, it's okay if they need to go take everything that you've just helped them build their skills to another organization, because um, forever. They will be your your champion. They'll be a connector. They know if you've had all this open and honest conversation over the period of time, they will know the heart that you have for them and they will have it for you. If you keep it secret, then I think it's just like pitting people against each other and then rumor mill happens and um, yeah, it. But it's hard. I'm not saying this is easy. This is the hard way to do it. And if you're doing training for multiple people, you know, if, if you're investing in training and, and development for all your team, um, could you have that? Would you, would, is there a situation where you'd have that conversation with multiple people? Like, you know, at, at some point, this organization is going to grow to this point and we're going to need somebody, in, you know, with this skill set. And that we have several people here with this skill set, uh, you know, who who we think could develop this skill set and get to the get to this level, and um, we don't know who that's going to be, but we want to, you know, you know, you Sally and Joe, we want to make sure you're attending these conferences and that y'all are, you know, that we're developing you along this path. But and it may be here, it may be elsewhere. Was that a conversation you'd have, or do you think that puts Sally, Joe, and and Bob against each other? You have to have that conversation for the good of the organization. So if you keep coming back to with the organization in the center, so it's best for the organization that we invest in tr training of more than one person and we're going to pay for that. 
It's in our budget. So it's best for the organization that you both get the training and that we interview someone externally. I mean, when it gets to that part, if it's time for the CFO role, I, I also highly recommend you don't just look internally. Um, it's these two, but there might be a great CFO who has taken the organization where you are right now, something similar, right, to another place. And they have some knowledge that no one internally right. has. Well, and that's what the whole, I mean, the reality of what real diversity is, is, is as diversity of experiences. And, and so it could be that somebody with a certain you know, experience at a company that's already at, you know, X multipliers where we're at, uh, would be more efficient in whatever role. So. Yeah. And I even know of a story of, of a person that I was involved in with a couple of um, organizations before that they raised their hand to, um, to be the president because there was no one else but they really, they were doing it because it's in the best interest of the organization, right? That somebody step up right. to, to do that. And then there was a, an interview process and there was a place to bring an outside CEO in. And they had, with such grace and um, fortitude, and she was, she was such a great, is such a great leader that she embraced them coming in and she is still a key player in the organization and everyone sees her in an even better light because of how she knew what's best for the organization um, is this external CEO coming in to take them to the next level. That's good. Yeah. And that's what you want in all your team, right? And you want them to all be on the, on the same page moving forward to make the organization as, as strong to serve our customers and all our other stakeholders. But in that situation, that organization was open and honest. Like everybody knew and everybody knew the pros and cons and, and yeah, were some people like rooting one way or the other? Absolutely. Uh, but the leader, you know, leaders go first. So when she was there shaking the hand and and being all in, then every oh, they're okay. Therefore, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. So we're almost out. Of, we're well over time of what I promised. So thank you. You've been gracious with your time. But how do I'm big on metrics, and so if we're investing all this money and and time in developing these future leaders, how do we measure it? Uh, how do we know if we're on track? Uh, and, and how do we know that, you know, we're going to get the ROI for, for what we've invested in, in, in these potential high potential leaders? Um, well, a couple of my favorites are, um, the voluntary turnover rate. Okay. To monitor that. Uh, the second would be, um, you know, internal promotions, right? So, uh, how, how many positions are being filled internally? Um, because of elevated skills over a period of time. And that would be an indicator of, I mean, that doesn't, I mean, we always have to worry about the wrong incentives, right? With measurements. But so it's, we wouldn't go back to our managers and say, promote more people to, to hit our numbers. It would be, you know, keep doing, if you're doing it right, keep doing what you're doing. But also we need to work on how we're developing our internal people, not just, you know, you know, can't play with the stats. Oh, right, right, right. No, yeah, yeah you can't do that. Um, 
What other metrics would be good? Yeah. I, I it's always back to the bottom right. line. So so are your employee, you know, you could do employee engagement surveys, but people people come to organizations for the mission and the impact that they're gonna have, and then they leave because the number one reason for the boss, the supervisor, whether the supervisor or boss is not impactful enough to make the change that they believe needs to happen, or you know, their boss is just not a really nice person. Um, so really right now, I don't think you can not be involved in career development right? and to invest in your people that then you're going to see your turnover rate go voluntary turnover rate, uh, skyrocket in the, in these times right now. And then like, if you've, if you've designated these five people as future leaders, you know, key future leaders, you can you see how their what the their progression on their 360 feedback looks like, I guess, and and what their turnover in their in their direct reports looks like, and hopefully that gives you some uh, some insight into how they're in doing individually. And then on you know, like you said, the bottom line is, I mean, if if we're a for profit business, the bottom line is the bottom line, and and we need to you know pay attention and and are you know can we can we tie this training to you know, to real outcomes in the organization. The other one I would add uh, is customer, customer mm, yeah. satisfaction, you know, your net promoter score, because everything about communication development, human relationship development is good for your customers too. Sure. So it's not just an internal metrics that I was trying to think off the top of my head, but how are, are you getting return business? Is that going up? Um, and your, your customer feedback and documenting that. So communication and relationship building training, you're going to see it in your customers and, and improve, improve business as well. Well, thank you, Lisa. That's all the time we have, but I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, for the invite. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.